Welcome to First Baptist Wiley. We're excited to bring you these weekly messages. Find out more about us or give online at fbw.church. Hey, faith family and friends, Pastor Chris. And what a joy it is just to be with you as we continue in our third installment in our message series entitled, I Dare You. Uh, through this series, I Dare You, we're looking at the book of Daniel. So if you have your book, your Bible or your uh, tablet or your phone, whatever it is you're using, go to Daniel chapter 4. You know, this week has been a historic week in the life of our nation, uh, particularly as we have reached the one-year mark uh, since we began this thing called the global pandemic. We find ourselves in this interesting place in the world, though, don't we? And we, we're different people having gone through the things that we have gone through. And I also think we'd be remiss if we didn't take just a moment and just remember some of those who've who've gone, um, who have passed on, who have died as a result um, of COVID-19. I know in our faith family, we've had many, I'm sure in your families, uh, amongst some of your friends, you have lost people to this disease. And so we're forever changed and we're forever impacted. And yet, I believe that as you and I make our way into the future, you and I should uh, have great anticipation of what God wants to do in and through us. You know, He never wastes a hurt. He never wastes a hurt. And as we move forward, uh, I just believe that truly the best is yet to come because we are going to be forever different. We're going to be marked because of these days that we have spent over this past year together. And in that spirit, uh, you know, I would just ask this question. What motivates people to do some of the things they do? I mean, I mean, for instance, uh, take a look at this video and uh, just, you know, tell me what you think. I mean, when you look at that video and you see all those fails, you see all these people who had tried to do these different stunts and it didn't go so well. In fact, that's probably why women live longer than men. It, it, I mean, what is behind that? could be the fact that, I mean, let's be honest, some people are just not very smart. That could be part of it. Um, but I have a feeling there's something else behind that. In fact, I, I would just ask you this question, okay? And you don't have to answer on the screen. You, you can, don't have to answer out loud, but think to yourself, what is the worst possible sin that you can imagine? I mean, what is it? I mean, it could be some kind of immorality. I mean, we live in a world, we see all kinds of immorality, so maybe it's some kind of immorality. Maybe it's murder. Maybe it's some sort of diabolical, maybe it's premeditated murder. Maybe that's it. Or maybe it's some kind of theft, or maybe it's some kind of abuse. But really, if you want to know what the worst sin that there is, the, the sin that God just absolutely, completely cannot in any way, shape, or form do anything but oppose, the answer is found in James chapter 4, verse 6, when it says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. 
The sin behind all sins, whether it be any kind of immorality, whether it be any kind of murder, whether it be any kind of, even those videos we saw where people failed, it's this thing called pride. Pride. In fact, what I find interesting about the word pride is the letter I is always in the middle of pride. And pride is one of those things, the, the, the overinflation of self that is the sin behind all other sins. It is ultimately what puts every person in hell. Do you understand that? Like every person in hell, you know, maybe they became an alcoholic or, or maybe they were a, a serial killer or maybe they were whatever it was they were. It was ultimately pride that, that put them in hell because it was the lack of acknowledgement that there was someone greater, there was a greater authority, there was greater accountability in their life, and his name is Holy God. In fact, this began back in uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, verse 13. We hear about the fall of, a, of, a, of an entity, a being by the name of Lucifer or Satan. And, and this is what it says that Satan said. He says, And you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God, and I will set my throne on high, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I mean, the reason God cast Satan out of heaven was because Satan was prideful, and he wanted to exalt himself above God. And then it was Satan who then, uh, when God created mankind, he immediately begins to assault mankind with this same sin that he fell from, this thing called pride with Adam and Eve. And we see in Genesis chapter 3 when he tempts the woman Eve, it says in verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, talking about the apple, talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that God had said, Hey, stay away from this one tree. Uh, for God knows, verse 5, that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, it was, it was the, 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 the sin of pride that tempted Eve to say, I want to be like God, just like Satan. I want to have ultimate authority. I want autonomy. I want to be able to call the shots. It's Rick Warren who says this. He says, Pride builds walls between people, but humility builds bridges. Don't you understand that if you were just to boil pride down, pride is the thing that knocks God off his throne. It installs us now as God. And don't you realize that it's pride, the sin of pride, that will destroy homes, it will destroy marriages. It will ruin relationships between parents and children. It will destroy nations. It will destroy businesses. It will destroy churches. Pride is the sin behind every other sin. Pride is the sin that every person in hell right now is ultimately there because they couldn't get beyond themselves and they couldn't submit to holy God. I have one point to drive home to you and it's simply this, stay humble or get humbled. In fact, say that with me, stay humble or get humbled. Daniel chapter 4, we have one of the most intriguing stories in all the scripture. In fact, you got to remember that the book of Daniel is historical, not always chronological. And so in the chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, who once again is who God handed the people of Israel over to. God intentionally did that. It was because of their own shortcomings that the nation of Israel fell. So I think it's imperative that we remember that whatever condition we find ourselves in in our nation as well, that, that believers, hear me, 
Now, some of that is part and parcel because of the things we've allowed over decades and generations to get us to this point. But I digress. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar um, was, without question, a very prideful man. And he did some amazing things. In fact, he, he brought about something in his time that few leaders had ever brought about. And it was simply this. He brought about peace. Uh, he was able to take on massive building projects. He was able to do these very impressive um, kinds of things because he had brought peace and stability to this land. And with that, brought with him an inflated sense of himself. And chapter 4 is all about how God uses him and how God breaks him and how God changes him and how God humbles him. And so um, n notice uh, our point. Stay humble or get humble. That's the truth. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. He will always humble the proud. And so stay humble or get humble. And notice this takeaway. Private change brings public confession. Private change brings public confession. You know, one of the most public things about you ought to be your profession in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's doing in you. Sometimes I've heard people say, well, you know, my faith is a private matter. It's just between me and God. No, not really. In fact, it ought to be one of the most public things about you because uh, King Nebuchadnezzar uh, gives us this example. And, and here's what's fascinating. It's like Daniel, in the midst of this book, stops writing and he allows this pagan king to insert into the pages of Scripture his testimony, his story. And it says this, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the people and nations and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and the wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders, His kingdom is everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generations to generations. You see, since the fiery furnace, it's been between 25 and 30 years. And now, King Nebuchadnezzar, in that amount of time, God has been working on him. God has been doing some things in him. God has been changing him. And here's what I'll say. When God works in you and me, you cannot help but share that with other people. You can't help, you can't help to. And so God is going to take this, this King Nebuchadnezzar, this man who is full of self, he's a narcissist. I mean, he always is thinking about how things are going to impact him and how he can get more credit for the things he's going to do. And uh, he is going to be a completely changed man by the end of this particular chapter. You know, it reminds me, like when Isaiah the prophet, he goes in Isaiah chapter 6 and he sees holy God high and lifted up there in the temple. He goes in to pay homage to a dead king, uh, King Uzziah. And when he gets there, he sees the Lord. And it says he sees him high and he sees him lifted up. And when he sees who holy God is, the first thing that Isaiah does is this. He hits the ground and he says, woe is me, I am undone. You see, whenever you see God for who he is, you... You tend to see yourself for who you really are. It's like Peter one day whenever he saw Jesus and he had these encounters with Jesus all throughout his relationship with Jesus. And it was in Luke 5, whenever he recognizes who Jesus is, he says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. You know, whenever you recognize who God is, it just causes you to see yourself in a different light. You're, you're humble. You, you, you're forgiving. You are loving. You're able to do some things you couldn't do before because you recognize who He is. It's like Jacob, the, the great patriarch in Hebrews eleven twenty one. 21. It says, And by faith Jacob, when dying, 
blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Why is it that Jacob was uh, bent over a staff? Because there was a time in Jacob's life that he wrestled with God. And the Bible says that the, that the man of God, the, 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 the theophany of Christ that was there in that Old Testament, in that manifestation of this wrestling with God, it, it touched his hip and it caused him to walk differently. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had this radical encounter with God and it caused him to walk differently the rest of his life. And friend, here's what I would say to you. Whenever God does something private in you, private change will always bring about a public confession. And so let me ask you this. If you aren't very public with your faith, why is that? Could it be that you perhaps have never experienced this change, this private change that brings about this public confession? You see, stay humble or get humbled. And notice the second takeaway, because God either uses his word or your circumstances to get your attention. Make no mistake about it. God's going to get our attentions, and he's going to do it one of two ways. So they'll do it through his word, which is the easiest way to get it or through our circumstances. So you got to understand, Nebuchadnezzar lived in proximity of Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In fact, these guys grew up in his court. They saw that they were true to their God, and yet Nebuchadnezzar continued just to live however he wanted to live. Nebuchadnezzar continued to just be this prideful man who did whatever he wanted to do. And, and yet he had the words uh, he would have had the, the testimony of Daniel and his friends, and yet he completely ignored it. And I want you to understand something, that God will always get our attention. He will do it through our, his word or through our circumstances. Notice how he does it with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that none of his wise men could interpret, and he finally brings in Daniel, who's the chief of, of all of these magicians and wise men. And, and the dream basically is that there's this huge tree and it grows and it grows and it provides beautiful fruit and leaves. And it provides a place where these, these birds will live. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream about this tree, about this fruit. And then what happens is this, this tree is cut down. Its leaves are stripped. Its fruit is made bare. And it says this, give him the mind of an animal. Take away his mind, speaking of a person in this dream, and 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 give him the mind of an animal and make it last seven periods, make it last seven years. And he says, what is this about? You know, the key to this verse is found there in verse 17. When it says this, it says that and to the end of the living may known that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to him who he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. You know, when you see this today and you think about what is that phrase, the lowliness of men, I would submit to you that our country in these last years, especially politically, we have seen God allow some of the lowliest of men rule over the nations. Have we not? In fact, I don't care what your political affiliation is. You understand that God always gives a nation the ruler it deserves. You know, I would submit to you, Christians, that this pandemic has had catastrophic impact upon the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But do you realize that now, uh, that before the pandemic, we had 55 million Americans that were regularly in church. Today, there's uh, about 17 million less that watch online and or participate physically. 
Do you realize that as churches now are reopening, that about 31% of all the churches in America have less than 50% of their pre-COVID numbers? Do you understand that 37% of churches, which we would fall in this, have between 50% to 70% of what they used to have? And do you understand that um, about 30% of churches have 70 to 100%? There's only 2% of churches that have over what they had before COVID. You say, why do you, why do you share this with us? Why do you say this with us? Because I want you to understand something. I believe that the, the reason our culture is in the condition it is, is because church, listen to me, and I love you. We have abdicated our role in culture as Christians to bring about change. And here's why I think this is so imperative that we grasp this. Because you understand, God gets our, our attention through his word or our circumstances. And if his word doesn't work, he'll do it through the circumstances. And that's why I think it's imperative that we understand the words of Romans 1. And as we see uh, morality in our culture being attacked and challenged and changed, uh, I think it's imperative we remember these words. And, and Romans 1.28 says, and, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, gave, God gave them over to a debased mind to do what not ought to be done. And so there's a moment when God just says this, you have so gotten so prideful you gotten so full of yourselves. You've so abdicated my plan for you. I'm going to hand you over to whatever it is you want to do. And he goes on, he says this, and they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and malice, and they were full of, of envy and murder and strife and conceit and maliciousness, and they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they, they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Here's why this is imperative. Because don't you understand something? As long as a person, as long as God is dealing with you as a person, as long as God, you, you know he is actively engaging with you, then there's still hope. Because there comes a point in time when God just says, hey, I'm going to hand you over to whatever and what you want to be a part of. That, if that's what you want to do, you can do it. And this is why I think it's imperative that you and I speak into the culture in which we find ourselves. Because we have a culture that is growing ever increasingly dark. You see, stay humble or get humbled. Say it with me. Stay humble or get humbled. And notice this takeaway and listen to compassionate confrontation. You know, one of the ways that you know that you're humble is that you have the ability to receive coaching from people. You have the ability to receive um, correction from people. In fact, if you don't have someone in your life who can say something to you, uh, and, and you've deputized them for that purpose, I want you to understand something. You're probably a prideful person. You probably need to heed the words of, of, of what Daniel said uh, by way of Nebuchadnezzar through this story. Because it's a dangerous place to be when no you don't allow anyone to speak into your life. Verse 19, and then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. And here's what I think is amazing, because this is what compassionate confrontation looks like. It says that Daniel's he was dismayed, and his thoughts alarmed him. Why? Because he loved King Nebuchadnezzar. He, he genuinely had an affinity for that man. You know, until we love people, we should never correct people. I'm just going to be candid with you. Uh, that's the problem that's happened in the church in the past, that we've been angry, we've reacted, we've gotten upset, and if hate and anger and yelling and all those things was ever going to pursue people to be, become Christians, it would have already happened. 
But it says right here that, that, that Daniel, he was alarmed. And then it says, And the king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream uh, or the interpretation alarm you. And Belshazzar answered and he said, My Lord, may the dream be f for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its tops reached the heaven, it, it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, in which the food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, you have grown and become strong, and your greatness has grown and reaches the heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. Don't you understand that King Nebuchadnezzar was great? He was. Yeah, and this dream, it, 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 it just edifies the reality that this man had done some amazing things. Um, he had built a, around the capital there in Babylon. He built walls that were 85 feet wide. In fact, they were so wide. They had chariot races around the perimeter of the whole city. I mean, they were that wide. He, he built this incredible palace. And as, and as a part of this palace, he created one of the seven wonders of the world, natural wonders of the world, called the Hanging Gardens. I mean, they were beautiful. And this man was a genius. He was a genius leader. He was smart. He was charismatic. He was all these things. And then Daniel says this. And he says, Because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field, let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is the decree of the Most High which has come upon you, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men and that your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, um, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of your tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. And so what Daniel is saying is this. He says, King, this dream is about you. God is about to cut you down. Because you would not listen to his word, he's going to get your attention through your circumstances. And listen to me, king, he's going to cut you down. And in fact, here's what, he, what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to get a mental condition whereby he is going to be set out of his kingdom. He's going to live among the wild animals. He is going to become like a crazy man. He actually, it's a form of schizophrenia. And it's one of the only recorded records of this throughout all of human history. And for seven years, he's going to live like a beast of the field because it's going to take that long for God to get his attention. And you see, Daniel is taking a risk right here because Daniel is speaking truth to power. You talk about a hard thing. You talk about a brave thing. You talk about the need for people with compassionate um, confrontation to speak truth into power. I can tell you right now, there are leaders who need that from you and I today. But when you do it, how do you do it? Notice what Daniel says. He says this. He has a tender heart. 
He, he loved Nebuchadnezzar. He had the right motivation. He went out to get him. He had the right attitude. He was gentle. He had the right basis. He understood that he was a product of grace himself. And so he recognized the grace that needed to be extended to Nebuchadnezzar. He had a tender heart, but also notice this, he had a truthful tongue. He had a truthful tongue. So it's truth and love. It's not one or the other. It's both. And so he, he says to him, says, repent of your sins right there. He says, break off practicing your, break off your sins by practicing righteousness. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had built all of these great things. He'd accomplished all these great feats, but he did it on the backs of people. He exploited people. He used people. He overtaxed people. He did these things to these people. And so he says, hey, you need to break off your sins. And then he says this, he says, and show mercy to the oppressed. You need to show the fruits of repentance by making sure that you now go back and take care of these oppressed people, these people that you have abused. And he says, do this, king. Please do this, king, so that your, your, your kingdom and that your years may be prolonged. Can I just say this to you? You understand that God will put people in our lives who will come to us and they will speak truth into our lives. And here's the question. Can you receive that truth? Can you receive from a person who genuinely loves you a friendly rebuke, a, a compassionate confrontation? Because here's what I've noticed. As we get older particularly, we find ourselves alienated and isolated to such that if someone tried to come speak to us, we already in our minds are combating what they're going to say so that we don't even listen. You know, when is the last time you heard a voice, a voice that God used? And by the way, when these people come to you, make sure that they're exactly what Daniel was, tender-hearted toward you. Daniel loved Nebuchadnezzar, but then they're also truthful of tongue. And you got to ask yourself the question, when's the last time someone spoke to you because what we desperately need in our days, we need people to speak to us, particularly in the areas where we have power. You see, stay humble or you will be humbled. See, stay humble or be humbled. Notice the fourth takeaway, because God cares more about your character than your comfort. That's what's amazing. God cared more about what was going on on the inside of King Nebuchadnezzar than he did about his outward comforts. And let's just be honest. A lot of times we'd much rather be comfortable more than we'd like to have our character developed. Verse 28, it says, all this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. And listen to this, verse 29, at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon uh, and the king answered and he said, now notice something. It's been 12 months since Daniel has confronted the king. 12 months. 12 months, God was still merciful. He was grace-filled, gave him an opportunity to humble himself. And so perhaps all these things he wouldn't have to experience. He wouldn't have to go through the pain of this particular process. But for 12 months, he said, no, I'm not going to do it. 12 months, he decided he was going to be self-sufficient in his own powers. And he says this, and this, this is verse 30. He says, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for my, the glory of my majesty? I mean, he's asking this question. Hey, didn't I do this? The power of my own hands for the glory of myself. And it says, And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, 
The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be in the beasts of the, of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you, know, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from among men, and he ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like the bird's claws. Nebuchadnezzar did not heed the warning. And, and so he was literally afflicted with a rare form of insanity. It's actually called bianthropy. Bianthropy. And it's this. It's where a man truly believes that he is cattle. And so it says his hair grew wild and that he, he walked on all fours that's intimated right here. His, his fingernails became like talons. And for seven years, he was out of his mind and he lived this way. And you may say, what in the world does that have to do with me? It has everything to do with you. Because don't you understand, God will allow you to stay in that situation that, that place of uncomfortableness, that place of discontentment, that, that place of unforgiveness. He will continue to keep you in that place until you do this. You bow your knee toward him and you acknowledge his greatness. Don't you understand something that God is so great and so loving that he will share everything about himself with you except one thing. He'll share his heaven. He will share his son. He will share salvation. He will share grace and mercy and love. But there's one thing that God never shares with you or me or anyone, and it's this. It's His glory. God wants the credit from your life. And it says in Isaiah 42, it says, I'm the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no one, nor my praise to carved idols. God will not share His glory with you. And if He has to take everything away, to re help you understand that He wants glory from your life, He will do it. He will put you in a field looking like a crazy man for seven years. And here's why. Because it's, His judgment is the greatest and highest expression of His mercy. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Here's what I think you got to understand. King Nebuchadnezzar was getting toward the end of his life whenever this went down in, in his life. He, he had way fewer days ahead of him than he did behind him. And God in his mercy dealt with this man. Why? And, and why would he deal with you? Because some of us, don't you understand, he loves you so much, he wants you to come to this knowledge of repentance. He wants to do this deeper work in you. And so the question is this, what is keeping you from allowing God's character to be formed and forged in you? See, stay humble or get humbled. That, that really is the truth. That's what's happened through this story of King Nebuchadnezzar. Notice this final takeaway because right focus brings right perspective. Right focus brings right perspective. Notice as this text concludes, it says this, verse 34, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing and He does according to His will among the host of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? 
And at that time, my reason returned to me for the glory of my kingdom, the majesty and the splendor returned to me. My counselors, my Lord, sought me and I established my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And then here is the phrase, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Notice what happens in King Nebuchadnezzar's life and and notice what has to happen for you and for me. You see, Nebuchadnezzar was so preoccupied with himself and his kingdom and he was constantly had his gaze on lower things. And it took God putting him out in the field among the beast for seven years before it says that right there that at the end of those days that he lifted his eyes to heaven. You know, what happened was this, he put his focus in the right place. When you put your focus in the right place, you'd be amazed at how right perspective comes back to you because then it says in verse 36, and at the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom. And so here's the thing. It's like the scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then what? All these things will be added unto you. You see, Nebuchadnezzar actually, after God works with him, after God humbles him, is actually capable of of handling even more because it says there was more greatness, there were greater things added to him. And when I think about what King Nebuchadnezzar experienced, it just reminds me of this great old hymn we used to sing when I was growing up. And it says this, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior, a life more abundant and free. And that great chorus, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I have a feeling somebody listening to this today, listen to me, friend. Pride is an interesting thing because pride is really like a teeter-totter. On the one hand, sometimes pride looks like the overinflation of self. And then on the other side, sometimes it looks like the devaluation of self. But don't you understand? It's the same teeter-totter. And so whenever you are humble, you understand where the greatness goes and always goes up. You understand where the glory is to be found. It's always found in him. And you also understand this, that because you know who he is, because you understand how you've been forgiven, you now can forgive, you can move on. You can bless and you can allow God to work through you. Because as King Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan, is converted. Like when we go to heaven, we're going to see King Nebuchadnezzar there. Why? Because he humbled himself and he allowed God to work through him. Don't you understand that every person will ultimately be humble? Because the Bible says this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What? To the glory of God the Father. And friend, if you've never done that, you need to. In fact, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And you can just pray a prayer with me. You say, Dear Jesus, I ask that you'll forgive me of my sins. I ask you to come to my life, my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, or if you need to join this church, or if you need counsel, I want to encourage you to just respond to what you, the prompts you see there on the screen. But as we close, here's what I want to ask you. I want to ask you this question. Where are you on this thing called the pride teeter-totter? Or is it the overinflation of self or is it the underinflation of self or is it an equilibrium? You see, humility and, and, and God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. If we want to receive his grace, we have to be humble. 
Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it is thinking of yourself less. I pray that we can do that in the days ahead. Lord Jesus, I pray as we depart that you would be with each one who've heard this today. And I pray, Father, that you would allow us to see you in light of who you are. Because when we see you in light of who you are, we see ourselves in light of who we are. And that doesn't devalue us, but what it does is this. You have this great desire to be worshipped, and we have this need to be comforted. And it allows both of those things to happen mutually inclusively as we extol and live for your greatness. God, may you get glory in our lives in the days ahead. I dare this crowd, I dare this crowd to be humble. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Until next time.